0: This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. I don't have to convince any one of those eight defensive coaches how effed up I am. These players, they want to defend MetLife Stadium for you guys. here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today's episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ the brand-new streaming sports news network. It's live 24-7 and costs you nothing. That's right. It's sports coverage that's always on and always free. Always. CBS Sports HQ's coverage is always focused on the game. Tons of highlights, breaking news as it happens, fantasy advice and something we care deeply about here, gambling picks and analysis to get that extra edge. I know when I turn on CBS Sports HQ, I'll see the tips and trends I need to win my bets. And don't forget, you can get access to all this great coverage completely free. I don't mean free for a week or month or if you have some special cable package it's totally completely free for everybody. You don't even need a login. Just download the CBS Sports app on your phone, Apple TV, Roku, Fire TV, or other connected device at any time to watch CBS Sports HQ. No fake debates, just sports for real sports fans at the great price of completely free. You don't even have to log in or sign up for anything. Download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. Today We are going to talk with Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News, old friend of DOJ. Uh, All joking aside, Manish has been doing a good spot with Scott every single week on the Play Like a Jet feed. uh, Felt like we were well overdue to have a conversation about the state of the Jets organization, about Adam Gase, a topic we have found ourselves in agreement on after disagreeing on much over the past 10 years or so related to the Jets. So... Uh, an overdue conversation, we talk about a ton of different topics related to Gase, the organization, where they're headed in the future. We go for about a half hour or so, uh, and then our interview will start up in about two-ish minutes. Before we dive into it, I want to remind you guys to subscribe, rate, review the Turn on the Jets podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. also want to remind you guys that if you were going out to Jets Steelers this week, the team's final home game of the year— they're actually currently four and three at home. How about that? Uh, it would be better if they were better than one and six on the road, but hopefully we can improve that next season. But if you are going, use Vivid Seats, which is the top source for tickets for the events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice, all in the Vivid Seats app. To make things even better, Vivid Seats now has a loyalty program that allows fans to earn credit back. Vivid Seats rewards. Go to the app or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and join the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program today. And when it's time to buy, new users enter the code PROMOTIME OVERTIME at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. Uh... That is the Vivid Seats app, so check that out. Um, Quick thoughts on the Jets' two remaining games before we get into our conversation with Manish. As it stands now, Jets are looking like they'll be two-and-a-half, three-point underdogs to Pittsburgh. Will be an interesting game in that Pittsburgh has a really, really good defense. uh, One of the five best defenses in the league, I would say. uh, Particularly their secondary uh, and pass rush. So this will be a really good test for Sam Darnold. Uh, I think this is going to be a close game. It'll be an ugly, low-scoring game probably. Pittsburgh's offense is tough to watch. Uh, and it's kind of a miracle. They're 8-6 and six right now with Devlin Hodges under center. It's a credit to the job that Mike Tomlin has done coaching them this year, uh, particularly with you know, missing James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster for big chunks of the year. Uh, you know They are very safe and conservative on offense and lean on their defense and special teams to win games. Uh, they narrowly lost to Buffalo. Seventeen, I think it was seventeen ten was the ultimate final. I think Hodges threw three picks. Uh, you know, Pittsburgh's defense did everything they possibly could in that game. So a winnable game for the Jets against a pretty good team who has a good chance of making a playoff spot. But really, a good test for Sam Darnold to see how he does against one of the better defenses in the NFL. Uh, there's also a good chance that that game against Buffalo will mean something for Buffalo, uh, particularly if they can handle business. Not handle business. I shouldn't say that. Uh, I don't want to sleep on New England too much. If they could upset New England, that game could have some ramifications. Uh, if they lose the game and they have some ramifications, whether they're going to be the 5 or 6 seed, I also don't know if they're going to bench starters regardless. And that is another great defense uh, on the road, which would be a good test for Darnold. So uh, good Tests for Sam, uh, good measuring sticks for his progress these next two weeks. He's been much better at home than on the road. He will get Pittsburgh at home, although I'm sure there'll be plenty of Steelers fans there. I would probably take the under in this game, but let's hope the Jets offense could find a way to get more than two touchdowns, which has kind of been their ceiling most weeks. Uh, and Donald could have a big game and sort of a statement game against one of the better defenses in football. Uh, and Pittsburgh, it's a, it's a must-win for them, and Pittsburgh has certainly spoiled more than enough Jet seasons in all of our lifetime. so would not be the worst thing in the world to get them back in front of a lot of away fans. So with that, we're going to jump into our interview with Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. First time uh, we have ever been on a podcast together, although he has a great weekly spot with Scott Mason on our Play Like a Jet feed, Return on the Jets uh, glad we're finally able to get on uh, the same pod together and talk about our favorite head coach and talk about the New York Jets. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Joe. It's only been like 10 years. I don't it's think been, I've ever spoken
0: to you before. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a solid decade. Uh, a, a solid decade of uh, some back and forth on Twitter and some disagreements about uh, the state of the team through the years. But I tend to think that we're viewing things pretty similarly right now uh, with the state of this organization. I want to start things off the top. I get this question all the time on Twitter still, and it seems that fans just can't seem to accept that this is the reality. Is there any chance in the world that the New York Jets are going to move on from Adam Gase after this offseason? My answer has been no, but are you hearing anything differently?
1: Uh, I don't think anything's going to happen on that front, Joe, unless something unforeseen occurs off the field. I mean, those are obviously all the wild cards, but... You wouldn't bet on something like that happen since we're only two weeks until the end of the season. So there's nothing that can happen on the field in these final two games to sway Christopher and Woody Johnson's opinion of uh, retaining Adam Gase. Uh, There's a um, a number of different factors why they're not going to move on, but uh, what uh, Christopher Johnson said what about a month or so ago is in fact true, that they don't have any designs. On uh, moving on from Gase uh, at least for one more season. Uh, you know, obviously, things are uh, in flux with ownership and Woody probably coming back in another year or so, but the immediate plans are to to keep Gase around for the following season.
0: It doesn't get talked about a ton, but how much of a factor is it right now that Jimmy Sexton is Joe Douglas's agent, Sam Darnold's agent, and Adam Gase's agent? How unique of a situation is that for an NFL team or is that something that's actually kind of common and it shouldn't be noted as something that's exceptional for the Jets?
1: Uh, No, it's highly unusual (laughs) for all three of those uh, pieces to be uh, represented by the same guy. Uh, Now, typically what you see, uh, or maybe not typically, but you've seen it enough across the league where you have the general manager and the head coach share the same agent. Uh, I don't have the you know the exact number of teams that you know that falls into, but uh a lot of the times you'll have uh, these power broker agents and there's only a handful of them who uh will steer their general manager clients into interviewing uh their head coaching clients, and that obviously would narrow the pool and great and increase the chances that uh, one of their guys would be hired as the head coach as well, but they also have the what you believe is the franchise quarterback uh, with the same agent is unusual. And what was fascinating to me this offseason was that, and I'm sure, Joe, you talked about this ad nauseum, was that after Mike McCagan was fired, the perception was that the guy who would be brought in to be the general manager would be nothing more than Adam Gase's lackey. He would essentially be hiring uh, or steering the ownership into hiring the guy he wanted to be the general manager. Uh, But because Sexton uh, had a really good understanding of the the dynamics of the the inner workings of the organization because he represents Adam Gase, Uh, he actually leveraged that to his advantage and more specifically to uh... joe douglas' was an advantage because the initial offer that the jets made for douglas was you know relative peanuts to what douglas ultimately got he not only got more money per year somewhere around three and a half million per year the original offer my understanding was about somewhere in the one point nine million per year which is you know, that's fair for a first-time gm but sexton realized the climate inside the jet organization which was uh, they wanted joe douglas because joe douglas uh, and and Adam Gase had a relationship, and then he, even Joe, from a fan's perspective, you know that there was this sentiment after McCagan was fired that, well, if we get Joe Douglas to be the GM, it's all good, not a big deal. And then it was it was odd because I'm not sure how many Jet fans actually knew uh, a lot about Joe Douglas prior to you know all of this happening, and it, it was almost as if it would have been a great disappointment if Douglas were not hired as the GM, and Sexton was fully aware of that, so he leveraged that to get not only more money per year uh, I think perhaps more importantly from an organizational standpoint he got more years on the contract so he's actually under contract for a longer period of time than Adam Gase is so in effect the guy that we thought would be Adam Gase's lackey and be you know a subordinate to to this head coach now actually this guy the GM actually has more leverage more power uh, in the organizational structure so that's you know a great job by Jimmy Sexton to recognize all of that and to, to use it to to benefit uh, one of his clients uh, to get a deal that he would not have normally gotten, the idea of a six year deal for a first time GM at three point five or so per year is unheard of, and I believe that Joe is in the top five of highest paid GMs in the, in the league
0: yeah, I mean and that, it feels almost unusual for that to happen with the first time for GM and for the Jets to go that far above and beyond and to making sure he was able to add some of the personnel he wanted from Phil Savage and Chad Alexander. And I think, you know, you definitely are right with Jet fans. I think Douglas was a popular name that was out there early and was perceived as someone who had a really good reputation in league circles and had a more exciting on-paper resume because of the teams he had been with previously than some of the other people that, Uh, They were interviewing whether he ultimately turns out to be the best candidate or not. We'll we'll find out in the coming years. Should Jet fans be confident that when it comes to team building and roster building decisions, that the buck will ultimately stop with Douglas and the guys that he hired around him, Alexander Savage bringing Rex Hogan back, and that Gase is not going to have an inordinate amount of influence on some of the roster decisions that are being made, because we all know Gase's reputation for having his guys in his system and guys that work in his system. Is there a situation where Jet fans should be concerned that Gase is going to have heavy influence on some of the personnel decisions that could be made on who's kept, who's traded, and what type of free agents or draft strategy they go after?
1: Well, he's going to have input, and I think he should have a fair amount of input, you know, whether that's significant influence or marginal influence or somewhere in between. I mean, who knows? But what I do know, and I think that most people would agree, is that you need to have the head coach work in tandem with the GM. They have to be on the same page. That clearly did not happen in this past free agency and this past draft between Gase and McKagan. But uh, but Joe Douglas does have a prior relationship with Gase, so uh, you would think, uh, at least theoretically, that these guys would be able to work together uh, much better than uh, than and, and Gase were able to work together. But ultimately, it will be uh, Joe Douglas's decision, and uh, I think Joe Douglas has a temperament, is a very different temperament uh, than McCagnan. Uh, you know, there's a, a number of different personality differences. So I don't think that if you're a fan, you you have to worry that Adam Gase is going to run all over. Joe Douglas, I can assure you that that is not going to happen. Uh, but you you absolutely need input from the coach. You, you, you want to know what kind of players the coach uh, needs in his system. And and I think that's one of the things that probably doesn't get talked about as much, but it's so critical. And it, it was actually one of Todd Bowles' shortcomings. He really didn't have a firm handle or firm grasp of which players he wanted in his system. Or maybe he thought he knew he wanted a player like... Player A, but then you know he would change his mind. Uh, not nearly as frequently as Adam Gase changes his mind, and that and so that I think that is going to be the big challenge for the front office and for Joe Douglas specifically is to get input from Gase uh, and really have a belief that yes, this this is a player that my head coach wants. This is the type of player, especially especially in free agency because Gase is. Well, you know, much more in tune with uh, the players around the league versus guys who are coming out of college. So, if Gates wants a, a player who's available in free agency, uh, you really have to place your faith in him if you're Joe Douglas and not uh, not think he's going to change his mind two or three months down the road because he has a track record of doing that. And I think that will potentially be maddening for for Joe, Joe Douglas and, and the guys upstairs. But uh, that's why ultimately, you know, Joe has the uh, the 53-man roster final say. So if he is unsure about something, Gase is saying. If he doesn't necessarily agree with the evaluation that Gase has on a particular player in free agency, it's going to be incumbent upon him to uh, make the tough choices and not give his head coach every player that he wants. I think that's how front offices and organizations get in trouble sometimes. You know, you you take that opinion from your coaches, but you also have to realize that you were hired to to be the talent evaluator. Your staff upstairs was hired to, uh, you know. Make those types of decisions. You don't want to discount what your coach is saying. Uh, so there is a fine balance. You listen to what Gase has to say, and then you you know you weigh that with what you and your guys think about a particular player, and then ultimately make the final decision on what you think makes the most sense for the organization moving forward.
0: The Jets are going to finish six and ten, five and eleven ish this year. Maybe seven and nine if they do end up winning these last two. Either way, under five hundred, they're going to finish with the bottom five offense in most categories. Knowing Gase is coming back, do you expect any changes to the overall coaching staff? We know Greg Williams and Bram Boyer have done a good job with what they've, good to even great job with what they've been given this year. So the logical place to look for some potential staff changes could be on the offensive side of the ball. Now, Gase is you know in charge of that hierarchy overall, but could there be any changes that the offensive coordinator, any positional coaches, a quarterback coach, or do you think it's just going to be status quo for year two across the
1: board? I think you can see some changes. Uh, nothing major on defense. Uh, actually, I shouldn't say that. What I should say, and this is this is what's actually what actually ha- is happening, is that any changes on defense will be a Greg Williams decision. It will not be an Adam Gates decision. Adam, uh, you know, has been true to his word about uh, allowing Greg Williams to to run that side of the football. Uh, it's it, it's an interesting dynamic. It's not unprecedented, but in effect, Adam Gates is the offensive head coach. Uh, And really, he has nothing or very little to do with with the defensive side of the ball. And Greg Williams is the the defensive head coach. So uh, perhaps there will be some changes. I I, I heard some rumblings. I I don't want to say because I'm not completely sure yet. But I think there could be some tinkering on the defensive side of the ball. On the offensive side, you know, Joe, that the, the obvious position coach that could go would be the offensive line coach. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily fair. I don't know if that, if he'd be a scapegoat, but those two guys had not worked together prior to this year, and I believe that Greg Knapp is the is the coach that that actually recommended uh, this offensive line coach to Gase. So uh, he went off a, a recommendation from some guy he had worked with in the past, but no, but not uh, you know he had not actually worked with with Frank Pollock uh, at any point in his coaching career. So I think if there's a change. That would be, you know, outside of the the lower level guys, the assistant guys, uh, in terms of position coaches. I, I think if there's going to be a change, it would be offensive line, and uh, and maybe Gase brings in someone he's more familiar with. Uh, I'm not saying that definitively because I don't know that definitively. I'm just saying logically speaking, just knowing what the background is with those guys uh, working together for the first time together, that uh, if there is some uneasiness on Gase's part, uh, you know, that would be an area where they could make a change. Because I don't, I don't think they're, they're making make... a change. Uh, At running back, uh, unless Jim Bob Cooter gets a, a coordinator job somewhere else, and he you know leaves for a better position, Gase, you know is is close friends with Jim Bob Cooter, and uh, I, he would not let him, he would not stand in his way if a better opportunity came along. Uh, you know the reason that Jim Bob Cooter is on staff is because uh, he you know he, he's a former offensive coordinator, former play caller, and he does have a good relationship dating back to to Denver. With Adam Gase, and uh, I don't even know if this is out there, but but Cooter was actually supposed to be the tight ends coach initially, and then they juggle things around at the last minute, and he became, then he became the running backs coach. Uh, Gates just wanted a guy he could trust and a guy that he believes in to help you know help on that side of the ball. So uh, if if Jim Bob Cooter had an opportunity to be a coordinator somewhere else, uh, I, I don't know if he would, but if he did, uh, Gase would not stand in his way. Uh Dow Luggins is not going anywhere. Sean Jefferson is a trusted confidant uh from their miami days, so i I don't believe that that Jefferson would be going anywhere unless a better opportunity came along but uh I don't think that case would be actively be looking to move on from uh some of the guys he had uh you know some of the guys he brought along in miami uh you know what and i just saying this out loud out loud uh I, I should Mentioned specifically, there are guys on the defensive staff that Gase brought with him. Uh, Frank uh, brought with him from Miami. Frank Bush specifically uh, is, a, is the assistant head coach, linebackers coach. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if they if they would want to make a change. I don't think they would because there's a link there because Bush and Greg Williams also have a relationship, uh, and uh, and Andre Carter also came from Miami with Gase. Uh, so And that defensive line has obviously been playing pretty well. You can, argue, you can make a solid case that's the best part of this defense is the defensive line. So I don't know if he, he would go anywhere either. So, uh, yeah, I, I think to answer your question in a roundabout way, maybe a little bit of tinkering. And if you're looking for one, uh, you know, quote-unquote headliner that could go, I would say the offensive line coach.
0: You've covered a lot of teams that have been bad in the past decade as of high Jets are <laughs> entering uh, – Year nine of the playoff drought, um, you know, their record, you know, they were they were 5-11, and 11, you know, two straight years under Todd Bowles, then 4-12, and 12, their record's going to be comparable to those years. How does this locker room, you know, compare to some of the other teams that had a similar record? What is the general feeling of the veterans and younger players towards uh, this coaching staff and towards Adam Gase? I think, you know, a lot of the feedback out of Miami was that there were – some friction with the players. We know there's been some weird situations this year that have not been common for the Jets. What happened with Kolechi Semoli? What, what happened with Luke Fogg? What happened with Quincy Inua. Um They also obviously are replicating the IR injury problems that Gase had in Miami at almost a record pace. I mean, what's your read on the overall sort of locker room and some of the more unique injury situations the team has faced this year?
1: Well, look, you've got 60-some-odd personalities in that locker room, varying from age 21 to, I don't know, 35. I'm not sure who the oldest guy is in that locker room anymore. But uh, So you're never going to have agreement uh, on the head coach. There's going to be some guys that uh, are okay and, and good with Gase. Uh, you know, the obvious one is the Marius Thomas. The Marius Thomas has had a long-standing relationship-slash-friendship with Gase dating back to Denver, and, you know, look, they went to the Super Bowl together, so I I, I totally understand that. Uh, and then there's other guys uh, who, you know, don't have any history with Gase uh, who kind of see him for, for who I believe he is based on all the information I've gotten over the last 11 months, and they're not particularly fond of him. And then you've got the young players. Young players are impressionable. Uh, you know, they want to, you know, go 100 miles an hour for their head coach, no matter who the head coach is. They don't know any better, right? They're coming out of college and uh i think in a lot of respects they're naive to the business of football they're naive to how some people handle their business behind the scenes and i mean i get it you know they're 22 23 they're you know they're young people so uh they don't they don't really know much and they kind of just you know put the 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 blinders on and and come to practice and you know it's funny joe when you know i talk to guys in the locker room uh with you know very varying, varying you know amounts of experience uh it is amazing to me how little some of the inexperienced players, the younger players, really understand about the business, about what goes on, how information travels, uh, what the general manager does during the season. You know who some of these scouts are that they see in the summertime on the sideline. <laughs> there's, a, there's just a lot of uh, you know new things for these these younger players. So you know those players, I think, are fine with with Adam Gase. You know they, again this he's their first head coach. they don't know anything different, but the older guys, and when I say older I mean guys here you know who are three plus years, the guys who have been around for a little bit and have seen a little bit uh, ranging all the way up obviously to the, to the 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 real veterans. I think that players have a good b s detector uh the guys who have been around and you know been on multiple teams, multiple coaches uh, multiple coaching staffs, I think they have a good b s peter so I think they kind of understand what this coach is about uh It's tricky because when you when you have discussions uh with people in the building in the locker room outside the locker room, uh nobody is going to come out or it's rare I should say no it's rare for a player to come out and blast a head coach and it happens time to time uh, throughout the league, but by and large uh, you know you, you've been around Joe, you know you're gonna hear players. Uh, and we heard this, uh, you know, toward the end of Todd Bowles' reign. They're going to support their coach publicly. Uh, that you know, it, it doesn't serve them well to blast their coach, because I think that, you know, in many ways, that that could be harmful to them moving forward, whether it's uh, with a different team or the same team, a different coach. You know, you don't want to be that guy publicly. But privately, when you talk to, you know, a lot of these guys, they're not idiots. You know, they're, they're, they're savvy people, and they're around, you know, their coaches a lot more than I'm around and I get information uh, through back channels and I get specific stories that I'll share with players and say, Hey, have you heard this? Have you heard that? And they'll be like, no, I haven't heard that, but I heard this. And, and and I, I think that by and large, you know, outside of the newbies in the locker room, uh, people kind of know who Adam Gase is. You know, he's a, he's a good, he's a good salesman in many respects. That's part of the reason why he got the job. Uh, That's not to say that he's, Completely clueless because he has had some measure of success in the past, so uh you know I don't want to make it seem like I, you know you hear the rich Co tight comparisons. I'm not of the belief that that's a fair comparison, only because of what I had heard about Co tight now I didn't cover Co tight, but you know, I heard enough about him where I don't think that Adam Gates is that clueless of a coach, uh, I think however, he could wind up being. You know, a losing coach for the Jets, I mean, obviously is this year, but for as long as he stays. So I think the comparison in that respect is okay. But the idea that he's just some, you know, buffoon like Kotite. I mean, there are very few coaches like Kotite. So I don't think he's that bad. Uh, I, I don't think he's the worst coach in the league. I do think he's one of the, probably the worst, I don't know, bottom handful of coaches in the league for a number of different reasons. I think first and foremost, he's a terrible leader, and uh, that's one of the things I misjudged when, when he was hired. I just thought that the fact that he's got these really good ideas, which I still believe, would be great for Darnold, and that would be great, uh, you know, for the Jets. What I didn't uh, count on was that he wasn't the leader that I was, you know, led to believe that he was in my compressed in my compressed amount of time of research. And I think that's that it, it's one thing to be an okay leader, to be a marginal leader. Uh, He's a terrible leader, and I think because of that, that, that's going to be one of the main reasons why he will not be successful here.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, uh, I think from everything I've been able to observe and see, he is the same guy he was in Miami, and I think that's why a lot of times when a head coach gets fired, it's not the worst thing in the world if they take a year or two off and sort of reassess things from being a head coach when you just roll right into another job. Uh, it's hard to improve on the things that were problematic areas for you. We saw the same thing with Rex Ryan. We saw the same thing with Eric Mangini. Ironically, also Jets coaches who went to other teams and really didn't have any success at the second place that they went to or less success than they did in their first job. Um, Before we go, the most prominent rumors about the Jets going into the offseason is that they're going to do everything in their power to trade on Bell and, to a lesser extent, Jamal Adams, who was nearly moved before the trade deadline. Um, what is the likelihood that these two guys are on the team next year? My read seems to be, and you've reported this, that Gase never wanted Le'Veon Bell. And I think the Jets, this has not worked because Bell is uh, Gase is not – done a great job of playing to Bell's strengths, not saying that Bell's exactly the same player he was in Pittsburgh, but the Jets are making life as hard as him on Possible, and I feel like they're going to cut their losses, or try to at least. With Adams, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's all the rumors he's interested in Dallas. It seems like they got really close to trading him, and that's a hard thing to come back from. I also think he's a guy who might just be exhausted of being on a losing team year after year after year and want to go back towards where he's from and play in a team that's more consistently competitive what do you think the future of those those two look like, at least for next year?
1: Well, if they can move Bell, they will, and that would mean absorbing some of his, his money for 2020. He's got $13 million guaranteed. His base is $8.5 million. Uh, they tried to move him, uh, but uh, I think before the deadline, so six weeks ago. Uh, but it, it's difficult for a team to absorb that contract, and he is not willing, or at least he wasn't at the trade deadline, willing to restructure his deal. And look, you know his history He sat out an entire year because he didn't think the Steelers were paying him what he thought his true value was. So if you're going to make that type of a stand, then why, uh, you you know, uh, 10 months later or six months later, would you be willing to take less money to be traded? So the money matters to him. Uh, I respect it. I understand it. I I, I would not have sat out an entire season. But just knowing what Le'Veon Bell's motivation uh, in part is, it's understandable that he would not want to take less money. Now, look, we'll see how he feels after the season if the losing is grading on him or not. Uh, I agree with you completely, Joe. That he's not the same player that he was at his peak. But I don't think anybody thought he was going to be the same player. I still, however, think he's an extremely effective player. As and as you said, they have not played to his strengths, and part of that is because Adam Gase will not feature a running back like that in his offense, and that's why he didn't want him initially. So I think that, you know, if there, could, if there is a team out there, and I know there's several teams that would love him if he didn't have any, all this money coming his way, but if there's a team out there that wants him, uh, that can come to an agreement with the Jets, uh, you know, absorbing some of the salary or enough of the salary to make it palatable to trade him, then, then he'll be gone. Because, again, things are not going to change in 2020 in terms of his usage and his deployment. Adam Gase is going to run his offense, and He's going to make players, no matter how great of a player they are, in Le'Veon Bell's case, you know, an all-pro, Pro Bowl type player. He's going to make those guys conform to his system. So he's not going to scrap his his offense. He's, he has said all summer, uh, since the start of the summer, I should say, that his his plan is in pencil, and he was waxing poetic about all these different pieces he had, including Le'Veon Bell. None of that was true. His plan has always been in ink, uh, or as I like to say, in blood. And you have to kind of shape your skill set to fit into his scheme. So all of that being said, uh, I don't think it makes sense for Le'Veon Bell to come back here. Uh, it's just a matter of can they find a trade partner? Uh, will the Jets be willing to eat enough money? Because they're not going to cut him. You, you can't cut him with the money that you've paid him, the money he's owed. There's a $19 million debt cap hit <laughs> next year. That's not going to happen. So they're not going to just cut him. Uh, so so the, that's the Le'Veon Bell uh, portion of of this question. the 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 other part, which is fascinating to me, and I, I don't know where you fall on this, Joe. Uh, I'm of the belief that Jamal Adams should be one of the the foundation pieces. And yeah, I know he's a safety and a premium position, but he's a he's a difference making player. He's a game changing player. I don't care what position you play. If you're affecting the game like Jamal Adams has affected the game for this franchise, then you keep him, especially since he's only 24 years old. Now he's eligible for a contract extension. We'll see if that's going to get done. I'm sure the Jets. Uh, in fact, I know the Jets would prefer not to do that. But uh, if you're Jamal Adams, you you got to strike while the iron's hot. He's in you know, all likelihood. Uh, it's not official yet, but I'm pretty sure he's going to make his second consecutive Pro Bowl. He was a second-team All-Pro last year. Uh, you know, he he's a he's a player on the defensive side of the ball that I know Greg Williams would love to have uh, moving forward. Uh, as any defense coordinator, frankly, would love to have. But uh, if you're Joe Douglas, you know, I think you've got to do your due diligence. I, I would not trade him unless something outrageous comes along. Is there a team out there that's going to give up two ones for Jamal Adams? I don't think so. And if you're going to get a one and a three for Jamal Adams, are you going to really do that? Is that worth it? I think that's absurd. A one and a three for Jamal Adams? I mean, Jamal Adams is a one. So you're going to hope to draft someone as good as Jamal Adams, and then what are you getting on top of that? You're getting a three. Uh, who cares about a three? To me, you know, you, Teams, especially the Jets, they they blow second, third round picks, you know, on an annual basis. So uh, unless some kind of you know ridiculous offer comes across Joe Douglas' table, uh, I would not trade him. I think that's bad business. He's he's also, you know, your your leader on defense. He's the guy who gives max effort. And yeah, he's a safety. Uh, so he's not an edge pass rusher. I I, mean, I totally get that. He's he's not a cornerback. I get that as well. But he's a guy who affects the game, and he. And he changes the game in different ways. And I think Joe Douglas has seen that up close and personal in in this season. So, uh, you know, uh, will they keep the door open to trading him? Yes. I believe that they will. Uh, But that, to me, does not mean they'll trade him. I don't think they would trade him unless somebody really blows him away. And, you know, in mid-December, it's hard to know if someone's going to do that before the draft.
0: Manish Mehta, New York Daily News. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate all the insight on Adam Gase and the New York Jets organization. Uh, let's do this again. We'll talk in the offseason, which is usually the most entertaining part of Jets seasons these days anyway.
1: Yeah, let's not wait another 10 years,
0: Joe. Sounds good. Sounds good. We'll do better than <laughs> once a decade. Thanks again. See you,
1: Joe.